Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org, hardcore podcast coming your way. Steve Schmee here in the Mobster. How you doing, buddy? How you doing? Good. And welcome to the Walker Nation. We hope you're listening, guys. Click and subscribe. Absolutely. So anyone from the Walker Nation, you're going to love this podcast. We're doing Nick Walker. This is a series that we're doing up and coming young beasts that are coming along that are going to challenge for Mr. Olympia. So episode 167, Nick Walker. We're going to talk about his life, his ups, his downs, his training, his diet. We're going to talk about steroids, what he could be using. So a little bit about Nick Walker, his stats, five foot seven, 255 pounds, absolute beast. Mm. He's already cracked the top five, and he's not even 30 years old yet. From New Jersey, his nickname is The Mutant. So a little bit about his early life here. Um, One of the things that he's been open with, and I thought this was really interesting, was he was molested as a kid. And I I think I read that he was molested really, really young, at a really, really young age. And even though you may think, yeah, you don't remember that, you do. Even uh, there's been situations that I've seen where uh, kids have witnessed um, violence. Uh, we're talking about toddlers, you know, two years old, one year old toddlers that have witnessed violence. And they actually can recollect what happened based on a smell or based on something that gives them anxiety. So that's really amazing the way even though you may think you don't remember what happened when you were that age, you re- it really does affect you into adulthood. So with Nick, he isolated himself. He became aloof. He got involved in drugs and alcohol. Yep, go ahead, Mobster. Yeah, you want to jump in? I'm just going to jump in here and I say, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of all the stuff that we normally do in these podcasts. But it's worth stating that Nick is doing a really good thing by, by being open and honest about this stuff because he's in a position where he can speak to people. Most of his followers are going to be younger guys, uh, some younger girls, obviously, some fans. And quite simply, um, he doesn't come across in a negative way when he's talking about this kind of stuff. You can imagine that it might have influenced him to maybe drive him to be the athlete that he is. But what he is doing is he's putting it out there and he's not keeping it hidden. He's not hiding it. And in his way, he's helping other people that might have been in his position, uh, which is a fantastic thing. Yeah, back to you, Steve. Yeah, and and that's the whole reason he's talking about it. It's not – there's no reason why he would do it otherwise. A lot of people – keep it to themselves, which is fine too. If you want to keep it to yourself, that's fine. But at his level, he has an opportunity to reach a lot of people. So he's using that kind of as a tool. So it really is something um, that we do to each other as human beings, which is, which is despicable. Um, So 
living in New Jersey, he played a lot of soccer, football, and did some wrestling. Those are the main sports in that part of the country. So he loved baseball, though. That was his number one sport. And in the Northeast, they love baseball. They love their Yankees. They love their Red Sox. It's a big thing up there. Really, they love a lot of different sports, but baseball is big up there. It's not so big in other parts of the country. Um, and he was good at it. He, he was a very talented baseball player, even at his short height. Once he became a teenager, though, he loved weight training. Um, and that was something that his father was also gifted at. So by the time he got out of high school, he was already one of the biggest high schoolers you'll ever meet. Five foot seven, 235 plus. So really, really incredible. Um, big boy. Big, big yeah. boy. Yep, really, really big guy. So nothing, um, obviously his father's influence helped him, but also he's got those genetics that we all need to get to that certain level. Now, um, early competitions, he hired a coach. The coach got him on a strict diet. He got 40 pounds down ahead of his competition. So he was a big boy, but he cut down a lot. That was a mistake. Um, and it was a learning experience from him. And I think a lot of that has to do with the sheer amount of weight that he lost all at one time. So it's one of those things where you can argue, was it incorrect to gain all that weight in the first place? Or was it incorrect to lose all that weight quick? So bottom line is he didn't like what happened to him. But I really like the flexibility of doing that because you kind of test out your body. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just jump in here because actually we've addressed this on previous podcasts, guys. What I say, talk about having a trial run when it comes to drugs and seeing how your body performs, having a trial run when it comes to diets for competitions because you don't want to make a mistake at the competition that you're actually going to compete in. So here it's one of those things where he might have lost too much muscle. He might have overdone the cardio. He might have even overdone other things at the PEDs if he was using them at that young of an age. And it's a learning experience, Steve. So, I mean, let's be honest. He's not making those kind of mistakes now. He's not turning up out of condition. He's not turning up when he's lost a load of muscle. He's not turning up fat. So as bad as that experience might have been then, it was a perfect learning experience. And based on his performance and where he's got so far, which we're going to get into, and of course, as you've already mentioned, his fifth place at Olympia, he ain't making those mistakes anymore. So I'm going to say it might have seemed a negative at the time, but it's a positive. He's learned, he's moved on, and here he is, and he's making a success of it. Back to you. So the next year at the Eastern USA, he got third place in New York. 19 years old, he was second place at the Teenage Nationals. 2019, he was gaining a lot of attention because of his size and thickness. Finished second at the North American Championship. So really, really, uh, it was obvious that this guy was serious, serious business, and he would be competing for a Mr. Olympia down the road. Next year, um, he dealt with the pandemic in 2020. His gym was shut down and reopened several times. But the thing is, he was able to take advantage of this because he was able to improve his physique during this time and gear up for Mr. Olympia. So having a home gym, having a garage you can train at, having that ended up being a blessing for him. Um, he earned... Yeah, go ahead, John. I'm just going to jump in here again. One of the things that we see sometimes with pros, and the fact that a couple of pros have even commented on it being an issue, Steve, is this 
if you earn a living by doing posing, guest posing, you earn a living by doing seminars, but that requires you to travel. And I think Nick is one of those people that's benefited in a perverse way. And I think you and I have talked about myself with my own gym here and a few of the other guys on the forums doing the same thing. Because we couldn't travel, because we couldn't go halfway across the world to earn a living in the case of Nick here, it's funny enough, it's meant, it's meant consistent training, which I'm going to get into in a little bit. It meant he's stayed close to home, that he's been able to eat properly, that was, there wasn't too many restrictions on getting older food. He's been able to train, as you say, either at a home gym or at the local gym. And it's been actually a blessing in disguise in, in, in so far as he's been able to prep for the Mr. Olympia and not had to go, you know, every other weekend doing some sort of a business halfway across the country or even on the other side of the planet. Yeah, back to you. So he won the New York Pro, and that earned him the spot of the Olympia. He also got fourth place at the Chicago Pro. So the next year, 2021, that was a great year. That was he won the Arnold Classic and then finished fifth at Mr. Olympia. So that was really an incredible accomplishment to finish in the top five. So we'll have to watch this this guy. Um, A lot of the fans that are listening to this, you know, um, you became his fan because of his rapid ascension. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does in the next few years going against the established guys who are in the top three and then going up against the young guns that are also chasing him um, and nipping at his heel. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does next year. We're going to have an interesting 2022 Mr. Olympia for sure. So really quick, social media. Um, I see that he's a rep for uh, something called Revive MD and also Raw Nutrition. He's got 700,000 people that follow him on Instagram. His social media has a bunch of pictures, training videos, and photos of him with other bodybuilders. And this guy is a big, big guy. He's not a guy that you want to run into in a dark alley. He is an absolute monster. I'm jumping here again. Uh, we just done a podcast, uh, which will be coming to air real soon if it hasn't done already, on another potential future Mr. Olympia, um, uh, Labrada. And one of the comments that I made, the criticisms I offered was that Hunter needs perhaps to come across in a more personable way on his YouTube. I've watched more of Nick's videos than I've watched of Hunter's because he does that. He, he comes across, you see family stuff, the family go to the competitions, it would include his dad, they're, they're supporting him. He, his uh, interaction with his buddies is there. It's not too much of the extra BS that some people do. There are sometimes a little bit boring uh, if you're not too into it with the training stuff. I mean, you know, we've all videoed or taken photographs of our training, but there's only so many times you can watch a guy curl or do a leg press or whatever. But nevertheless, he's very professional with his social media. It's very well done. It's well produced. He'll talk to the camera. He's chatting to the camera while he's cooking food. He shows you the lifestyle. There's not much hidden. And it comes, it just comes across in a really professional way. It's incredibly well done. And that's the difference if you look at the numbers, which I mentioned in the last podcast and in this podcast, between the two individuals. Uh, it may well be, as I mentioned before, that Hunter doesn't need to do it so much. 
because of sponsorship through Labrada Nutrition. It may well be that it's just not a person that's super comfortable in front of the camera. It may well be that it's something you'll grow into. But Nick seems to have hit the ground running. He has this stuff down and done, and it comes across very, very well, Steve. Yeah, so let's get into... Let's get into a little bit about his nutrition and training. I'll do his nutrition and then Mobster definitely talk about his training because on the pre-show Mobster had a lot to, to say about that. So Walker needs a lot of food. He's a large guy. That's just the nature of the game. Typically six meals a day minimum. Favorite foods, berries, rice, turkey, steak, beans, chicken, and nut oils. He also drinks uh, blends of greens, collagen, and glutamine as a shake first thing as when he wakes up to feed those muscles. Mobster, tell us about, about his training. What did you find out? Well, this is the thing. And I said this to Steve in the pre-show. If you guys go, I mean, as I just, I just said, you can watch plenty of your training videos. The thing that leaps out at me is this form is fucking perfect. And this is one of those things with regards to the reason why some guys progress and others do not. And we've got other examples of it, which I'll mention in a minute. But first is, he hasn't, to the best of my knowledge, had any serious, if any, injuries. And if you look at his form, whether it's a preacher curl, whether it's a squirt, whether it's a bench press, whether it's a deadlift, the form is on point. He's not throwing any weights around. He's not doing any stuff for, for, the, for the views. He's not doing any stuff for the likes. Uh, he's, he's, and it's the thing, there's some, there's some big numbers out there. I'm pretty sure he's done something like 150, 200. Sorry, you said there's a video in the article that we mentioned, and it's referenced in the article, 225-pound dumbbell presses. We know that he's done a 700-pound squat. We know he's done a 650-pound deadlift. Now, that's not common. He's not doing his stuff all the time. He might not be doing his stuff in a run-up to a show. He's not trying to be Ronnie Coleman. But those are big numbers. And with the form that I've already mentioned, that's on point. Now, you know, as per usual, and I say this sometimes on the forums, there's no great secret when it comes to how many sets, how many reps. The guys do what works for them. And you, the listener, needs to go off and find out what works for you. But what you can take away from Nick is that his form is on point. There's a couple of guys I know here. Uh, one's a judge, another one's uh, competed on the Olympia stage. And the, both these two guys are really, really good at showing you exactly the right way to do an exercise. If you watch Nick, you're seeing exactly how the exercise should be done. And that's one of the reasons, along with consistency and that, that monk-like attitude and the food, day in, day out, non-stop, with no excuses, that form is one of the reasons why Nick is a mutant. Because genetics is part of that course, guys. The PEDs that we're going to get to, of course, is part of that. But trust me, this consistent, proper forming training, consistently done month after month. When, when COVID comes along, oh, that's just another excuse to grow. That's the reason why he is who he is, where he is. And that's the reason why he's got to the fifth place in the Mr. Olympia. And potentially, if he grows and gets stronger, it's the reason why we may well see Nick as a potential Mr. Olympia in the future. Back to you, Steve. So just, you know, some quick opinion. I'll throw in my opinion as well. And Mobster, yep. um, you just gave your opinion. You can, you can follow up a little opinion. So, yeah, I agree. Um, he does have the opportunity to win multiple Mr. Olympias. 
if he can get his mass under control. Uh, he needs to focus a little bit more on cutting down and bodybuilding. Um, and I think he's accomplishing that. So we see a lot of these young guns, they, they want to do ego lifting and videos. Now, a lot of that is clickbait as well. Like they'll do those types of videos and people are like, oh my God, this is how they live. But it's not. It's just they're trying to do a video. They're just trying to get those veins popping. They're just trying to, you know, uh, do something. So people click their videos and they get a lot of, you know, a lot of followers. So as Mobster has talked about, you know, Nick does have good form as it is. So any videos where you see him eagle lifting, obviously it's just him, you know, just trying to wow the camera. So um, another thing though, that I wanted to talk about as well is injuries. Uh, Mobster had mentioned that he's avoided injuries. That's one of the things that he needs to watch out for. And that's yes. something that can happen um, anytime it can happen. And if you get a big injury, you're going to be out for a long time. Uh, you tear a pec, you tear a shoulder, you herniate a disc, you mess up your joints. You know, that's, you can either hammer some painkillers and keep going, or you're going to have to take months out of the gym to let that heal. So he's got to be careful. That's the one thing that can stand in his way, but he seems to be doing well. Mobster studied his training and Mobster, um, you know, is someone that I trust. And if Mobster says that he's training correctly, then he's training correctly. So I hope he can stay healthy and we'll see how he can do in the next uh, couple of years. Maybe he will challenge into the top two or top three. And that would be really, really cool. So one of the things as well, he's got an opportunity to bring a lot of young guys back into bodybuilding. Um, we're seeing a generational gap in bodybuilding. A lot of 20-somethings, they don't know anything about bodybuilding. And um, that's because there hasn't been that Arnold, you know, who has come out. Like, if you ask someone who won the Mr. Olympia uh, recently, they're not going to know. If you, told, if you ask them, who can you name me any Mr. Olympia over the past 10 years, they're not going to know. Uh, yeah. Some guys may know Ronnie Coleman. Some guys may know Jay Cutler. Some guys may know even Phil Heath. But after that, like, can you name who won Mr. Olympia? A lot of people can't. They don't know who Brandon Curry is. They don't know who Big Rami is, at least in the United States. But in other countries, they do. So maybe Nick can bring a lot of young American 20-somethings back into bodybuilding. And that will be good for the sport overall. And I think a lot of people would love to see that. Anything uh, yeah, you want to add, Mobster? I'm going to say I agree 100% with you here, Steve. I'll touch on both those issues. Sometimes, and I don't think Nick is necessarily guilty of this, potentially other athletes, uh, for example, the ego lifting on video, as you said, that's not just done for like Sometimes it's done to get those fans from this fella over to me. I want their fans. I want their views. I want those people to come and watch my videos. And let's be bottom line for that, guys, is money whether it's in terms of sponsorship because you're having a much more of an impact on social media, whether it's through the money that you can earn on YouTube directly through the ads, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's, it's a business. There's not a muck around. It's the reason why some guys will do seven or eight plates on a certain exercise. Now they might be peaking for their strength, but at the same time, they're showing you this because they've, they, it's not just an ego thing. Here's me lifting a lot of weight. Sometimes it's done uh, literally just to get you to come and, as Steve says, use the clickbait. 
topic title, I'm going to do an 800 pound spot and you come and watch it. There's a risk here. And that's what this is something that I would be concerned about. And I don't know necessarily Nick is guilty of that in a minute, because I said his, his form is so good. But if the potential risk when you're lifting 700 pounds, 750 pounds, 800 pounds is a lot higher for a lot worse of an injury than it is 300 or 400. And trust me, you can hurt yourself real bad with those low numbers. So the stuff you can do, and I'm thinking way back in the day for you young guys to look up Jean-Pierre Fuchs doing a 700 pound squat for a photographic shoot uh, for a magazine encouraged at the time by the photographer Chris Lund, ended up tearing both quads, left and right knee quads, and in a wheelchair afterwards and took a long time to recover and never came back to the stage, et cetera, et cetera, in a form. And again, that would be for magazine, contractual obligations, et cetera. You there's a very fine line here, guys. In terms of the influence, 100% agree again, Steve. Uh, I suspect that his audience is exactly where you think it is in that young 20s, 20 youngs, 20 something, young, youngish, 20 to 25 years of age. And uh, with the form, with the nutrition, with the lifestyle, he has a very, very good opportunity, in my opinion, to positively influence him. And as you say, act as a good role model. And if you can carry on in that, we're not hearing any horrible stories, there's no great dramas. There's none of the uh, chat type uh, newsy uh, uh, YouTube channels are putting up multiple stories about Nick. He's just not out there doing it. He's just doing his thing, getting the job done, applying himself in a positive way and coming across in a positive way, including what we talked about earlier in the podcast. So all in all, potentially super clean, super tidy, monster, uh, but a very, very positive role model and that in itself is a good indication if you can bring this physique up it's going to be little things like bringing the waist down a tad that kind of stuff just looking at a little bit you know i think for example is, is a big one for concentrating on keeping your stomach under control and all this kind of stuff and something else steve and i've touched on this in previous podcasts he acts like a professional and looks and acts like he's going to win even if he doesn't win when he's on stage. I'm thinking of pre-shows for the Olympia and, and press conferences and all that kind of stuff. He came across like he was an ass kicker and, and I'm, I'm here to do nothing but see that trophy compared to other athletes that were on stage at the same time. And that in itself is exactly how a professional bodybuilder should act. You shouldn't come there looking for 10th, looking for 15th. You should come there to win. And he exudes that confidence. Back to you, Steve. Let's get into a steroid cycle. So um, it's obvious here that Walker got into steroid use very young age. I mean, I, 17 years old, five foot seven, 230 pounds. I mean, that's just not realistic uh, unless someone is using steroids and has tremendous genetics, considering he was a sub 8% body fat. I mean, this is just incredible. I, I don't know how they didn't like put him as a senior in high school, I running back and just let him run over everybody or put him at linebacker. Like, I don't, I have to look into that. Maybe he just wasn't into football or something, but I would have loved uh, to be a senior with, with those stats. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, he'd be an absolute beast, but that just shows you football isn't about the, you know, the biggest or strongest guy. Football is a skill. You still have to know how to tackle. You still have to, you know, be willing to, you know, uh, take, take a bunch of hits so 
but yeah, I could see why he <clears throat> he definitely liked um, like bodybuilding. Yeah, There's, there is an argument, and I, I, it's a negative and a positive here because I like Nick and I like how he comes across the positivity, right? But negatively is whether we say this is specific to Nick or whether it's our best guess. And my best guess is yes, there was something in there, maybe not crazy, and maybe he's a hyper responder. But I'm going to think it's almost impossible to imagine him not using something at an early age. That's number one. Number two is we have we come across this on a forum, and I I will say this, and I know Steve agrees with me because we we both commented on this in the past. We do not, by any stretch of the imagination, encourage guys that are still at high school to use any form of performance enhancing drugs. But the reality is there are some that do. And in fact, Steve's touched on it when Americans, what I call American football, uh, pro ball in the States for yourself. And, and that is, if you are at that level where potentially you might get signed up, potentially there might be a big contract on your future. I can understand the temptation and so we know because we see these numbers, we know because we've seen people like this post, and we know, for example, where forum, young forum members have come on and said, all of my buddies in the team are on this. All of my, That may well not be true. It may well be that they think all their buddies are and that they then need to put some performance enhancing drug into themselves just to get up to the level of their buddies, just to be in with a chance of a future signing and a contract, et cetera. So we understand. But let's be honest, Steve, it's not something we encourage, by, not by any stretch of the imagination. It's just real hard, and this is not a knock on Nick, but it's real hard for us to say Nick didn't do anything. It, it, it's real hard for us to say, you know, the numbers tell us that he would have to be the absolute freak of freaks with the kind of Ronnie Coleman-esque genetics, veins sticking through the tracky bottoms, that kind of stuff, uh, at school. They do exist, but they are the, they're the fraction of the fraction of the fraction of the 1%. Nick may well be there, but the chances are there was something in there early days. I, I assume, and I think this, we can say this because of how he appears to come across now, he did this with good, solid advice. And as far as we know, so far, zero issues. Let's get into the actual what it is that we think he might have run, Steve, and a potential running up to the, say, a potential cycle that he could have run running up to the 2021 this year. Yeah, so one of the things that a lot of these guys mess around with testosterone propionate, well, you know, over a, th over a, a thousand milligrams a week, over a gram. But the yeah. thing is they stop it about five weeks ahead of the competition because they don't want any of, of the water retention, the bloat, any estrogen in their system. So they'll stop it ahead of the competition. So that's out of the system. Another thing they, they love using, of course, is trenbolone. Uh. So 1,000 milligrams of trenbolone a week, and then they raise it up, 1,500 milligrams, four weeks ahead of the competition. So tren is the absolute mandatory steroid that you must use at that level. If you don't use it at that level, you are not going to be able to keep up with your competition, period. You will not be able to keep up with your peers, period. It's just not going to work because Trembolone is the absolute golden nectar of bodybuilding. Anyone who's ever used it, you know that even 200 milligrams a week 
is incredible and it can transform your physique. So imagine running over a gram of it. That's what these guys have to do. Another one, Decadurabolin, over a gram a week. But you lower it down ahead of your competition. Decadurabolin is really mild. It's really good for appetite. So, you know, these guys, they eat a lot of food. They eat a lot of food, right? So it gets to be a job. It gets to be a job that you hate eating all this food. So the, the DECA really, really helps boost the appetite. So, you know, I went ahead and threw in, threw in some DECA there. Now it's, it's completely plausible they don't run DECA. It's completely plausible they run something like Equipoise instead. But, um, you know, DECA is kind of an interesting one that I threw in there just to hear some discussion about it. Another one, yeah. Winstrol, 200 milligrams a day of Winstrol. Why? Why Winstrol? Why? Drying out. It is a great dryer absolutely rips you down to shreds. If you've got a low body fat and you run Winstrol, it'll make you look like a statue. You'll be so hard on this stuff. So just a tremendous ster uh, steroid Winstrol. And, you know, you can inject it or you can take the tablets or you can drink because it is, um, you know, Winstrol is something that you can, you can take multiple ways. So I'm not quite sure. Um, I think these guys, they take the tabs more than anything, but I could be wrong on that. Um, some, some of them may even, um, you know, some of them may not take tabs. Some of them may just drink it, you know, just to make it simple. I don't think they're injecting it. I think injecting it would be too much, too much of a headache. All right. So the next one we're, we're, I'm going to bring in mobster to kind of talk about the next steroids he could be using. Yeah, I'll just have a quick comment on the windstroll there that you mentioned, Steve. I think it's going to come down to how often these guys are going to have to pin. And of course, we are talking about a competition cycle here, guys. So it's not necessarily my my gut feeling is that this is a sort of cycle Nick would have run in his run up to the Mr. Olympia that he needs to watch. And I'll talk about the drugs very quickly. He needs to watch uh, that he's not forcing himself to stay on all year round uh, by virtue of uh, posing demands, guest posing, seminars, and so on. Uh, and also in his hunger to to get that title. So this is a competition cycle versus a being all, on all year round. And in regards to some of the numbers that we've already talked about, and specifically the Winston with the oral, it will be an oral for me only because of the other drugs that I'm having the pin. And we know from guys on the forum, sometimes as regardless of your desire to grow and be a huge monster of a bodybuilder in the pinning, can actually get tedious and the need to rotate sites makes it real, real difficult to be constantly jabbing. And again, it comes down to the ester, et cetera, et cetera. Anadrol's in here. We're talking around, we think 150 milligrams a day. That's quite high. It's potentially quite an aggressive drug, but that's going to hold a lot of size on you. You're using drugs to stay dry. You're using drugs for polish, Masteron, which we were about to mention, but you also need to maintain keep that nitrogen retention, to keep the nitrogen coming in, keep the protein coming in and hold tissue. We see guys sometimes in competition, specifically where they fuck up on their cycle, they fuck up on the diuretics and they lose too much muscle. So drugs like anadrol holding water and, and, and glycogen in the muscle, keeping you full. And at the same time, the windstroke, for example, drying out any of this, the water between the muscles. Mastron 
as I just mentioned, prop here, potentially 500 milligrams up to as much as 1,500 milligrams ahead of a competition. Masteron is described as a polisher. It's one of those things that makes you look good, a hardener, a polisher. It's kind of a, a competition drug, really. We know, and we see this sometimes on the forums, guys talking about Masteron, and you got, you, you'll see the fat percentage, and you're like, no. You're not going to polish something when you're holding 20%. You're going to polish something in terms of physique when you're under 10. And you got, it's starting to look competition and stage ready. Don't take this guy, this drug, all steroids, blah, blah, blah. Don't use this drug if you're not lean enough, if you're not already in shape. It, it's not really, there's plenty of other drugs you can use instead. HGH, we've talked about this in previous podcasts where we say old school was this a man. Modern times is this the man. And quite simply, I think Nick would be missing the trick. It might well be that he doesn't need this kind of level, but at his level, in the run-up to a Mr. O or a Arnold, as we know that he's already won, we're probably looking at somewhere around 25 values a day. Way that the, But the risk for, for example, side effects is quite high. But again, we're talking about a genetic freak here. So we think and run up the competition at that level. Insulin is kind of almost a given. If you go back to what Steve said about the trend, insulin's like, you know, you need to be doing it. Now, if I was Nick's level, I would experiment and I would say to myself, do I respond well to a drug like insulin or not? If I don't, fuck it. Because why do something just because everybody else is doing it? Equally, he is a genetic freak. He is, in my opinion, a hyper-responder. He was that size when he left high school. So I'm going to suggest that if he does respond, this is what we're looking at. And we're talking about here, it's not crazy, funny enough, it's actually kind of almost sensible, uh, certainly more than most guys would need. But again, we're talking about top professional bodybuilder of 15 IUs a day. Now, the last two, and I'll throw in peptides as well, but the last two specifically, diuretics, it's almost a given. I don't care how much you diet down, how lean you are, how little fat there is in your diet. It's almost a given. I would say if there was 100 guys on the Olympia stage, and it's normally something like 18 or 20 or whatever, there would only be like maybe a couple up there that aren't using something to lose water from a natural diuretic like dandelion to proper diuretics. And again, the, the one thing that we see people seeming to fuck up in the last couple of days of the biggest competition is their use of diuretics. So again, I would want him to be getting the best advice. I don't know who's giving him that advice, but that person so far has pretty much got it on point. There's only been a couple of times when Nick's been a little bit, and I mean a little bit off. And of course, fat burners. And again, it's one of those things where you're talking about, and I mentioned it earlier, polish. Someone like Nick shouldn't be allowing himself to get fat out of competition. They shouldn't be screwing up their diet. They shouldn't be having too many cheat meals or cheat days or cheat weeks or whatever. Nick, so far, we haven't really seen a bulked up off-season version of Nick. We've seen a slightly smoother, a more covered up version, but we haven't seen his belly sticking out. We haven't seen any fat around the chin or whatever else. So if he's letting himself get out of competition shape off-season, it's a little bit. Therefore, his use of fat burners is exactly like Mastron, et cetera. It's bring, and the diuretics I mentioned already. It's bringing in that polish. It's, I've got my diet under control. Listen, the reason why Nick, and I, I've touched on this right at the beginning, 
regardless of all these drugs, the reason why Nick is a monster now is because he's been training super tight form consistently with proper nutrition, something that Steve talks about in regards to sleep, rest and recovery, uh, fewer injuries, and then a great response to these kind of drugs, consistently properly done. And that's the reason why he is where he is. That, and obviously, whether people like it or not, that combination of genetics, if you, even if he was using drugs at high school, we think maybe just as he was leaving, even if he was, he's still a genetic abnormality. It, guys, you can learn from what Nick does. You can learn even from these kind of cycles. You can learn, for example, just by reading this, even if you disagree, you're going to say, you know that there's someone out there in the Mr. Olympia lineup who wants to win, who's probably doing something exactly like this. So whether Nick's doing it or someone else is doing it, this is the kind of cycle that we think someone else is going to be doing. Certainly someone in the Olympia is going to be doing, and that's that's the reason you get to that level. Now, if you guys aren't on the Olympia stage, this is for you to learn from. It doesn't mean that you can go off and take all these drugs like we suggested and that you're going to turn into the next Nick Walker because you ain't. You have to have that 1% of 1% of 1% genetics. But trust me on this. I, my gut feeling when it comes to the steroids, comes to performance enhancing drugs, is that his on-point training, his on-point diet, his on-point recovery, is that a performance enhancing drugs is as, as on-point too. That is done it just so. Because all we've seen so far is progress. All we've seen so far is improvements. And assuming he doesn't fucking screw up, I think he's just got fucking, he's got another few places to climb just yet, Steve. He's got a little bit far to go. And he's young enough and good enough that that's still going to happen. What do you think, Steve? It seems to me his father is providing him good, good guidance because his father used to lift weights. I too, guess so, is yes. Yeah. So yeah. I think he's yeah. got that on his side as well. And also girls. Um, I didn't dig into his personal life. I'm not sure. I, I don't remember on his, if he talks about his girlfriend. But girls can screw up things for you when you're a young guy in your 20s girls can screw you up they can fuck with you um because what ends up happening is you fall in love with them and then they want they want you know you have a family and then you've got to commit time to her commit time to the family because if you don't you're going to lose your family you're going to lose her you know so there's you have a responsibility as a boyfriend to provide certain things like you know that you may have to turn down a gym session to take her out. Um, you may have to, you know, um, that morning you have a family, you may have to take little Timmy to the hospital or to the doctor yeah. because he has, he's sick and you have to witness your workout. So those are the things that kind of that bodybuilders run into and what ends up happening. And we're going to get into this as we get into more bodybuilders, you end up losing your family and you end up getting a divorce and all that stuff. So that's one of the things, too, the young guys in their 20s going into their 30s have to be aware of. And you have to have a, sp a spouse who's understanding. It's like a coach, uh, you know, one of the top soccer coaches, the top football coaches, whatever sport it has to be. They're always traveling, these coaches. So their wife has to be, you know, willing to deal with the bullshit. And as a bodybuilder, they have to do a lot of bullshit. You're going to have a lot of emotional roller coasters. You're, you know, you're going to have a lot of libido up and down. You're going to have a lot of stuff like that. So I'm also, yeah, finish up the show with your final thoughts. Definitely. I'm just, I just reminded very quickly and slightly amusingly, Steve, as an example of how these guys, 
I've been on both sides of this. I've been competing in my own particular niche and had issues uh, with the girlfriend when I said, listen, you know, competition's coming up. The next few days are super important. I need to be focused on the day. I don't want to be bitching. I don't want to be arguing. I don't want to be dealing with any fucking drama. And lo and behold, it feels like there's drama coming along. It can be very selfish to do these kind of things. And potentially, Nick's is where Nick is, potentially, guys, because he's super focused. He's super dedicated. And that can be really, really difficult. But the amusing one that have just reminded me, Steve, is a story I think you just said exactly the right thing. It was a coach of some description and he was traveling the world. He might have even been one of his talent scouts going all over the, over the world, all over the country, looking out for future pro ball players uh, and, and, you know, mentioning them to the team, team, team owners. This person's got potential. That person's got potential. Lo and behold, they retire. And immediately or seemingly immediately, the wife divorces them. She says it was okay when he wasn't at home, but once he was home all the time, he was a pain in the ass. So it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. You do need an understanding partner. And even when I've been in this position and I've said, look, I'm going to be like this for a few days. I need this from you for a few days. It can be difficult. So, so far again, with Steve, uh, sorry, with Nick, I think we're looking at someone who's got all these points addressed that you know you're not seeing any dramas you're not seeing any problems uh it's maybe sat that person down and for the rest of you guys if you're not a top professional athlete and this is one of those life lessons again make time we just i just answered a question on the forum this morning where a guy talks about whether he should have trained because family come over and they wanted to go walking and climbing and i said you go i'll stay here and i'll do my gym session because it was legs it's kind of funny when you hear it, but really it was like, how often has those family members come over? Couldn't you trade legs earlier knowing that they were coming or after you'd been out and then going to spend time, family time with them because they wanted you there. So there are, it's, listen, I, 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 I've, when I've been working full time, when I've had these kind of problems, I'll get up fucking early and I'll train early or I'll train late. Steve's got other stuff that he does. You work around these things. We do stuff with his podcast. We do stuff when we're on the forums. You work around this stuff. You, uh, you Training is still super important. Food is still super important. But it doesn't mean you can't leave the house. It doesn't mean you can't do this. And again, we're talking about guys that are just doing it as a fucking hobby. So you guys, you need to balance these things out. You need to have an eye on everything else going on at the same time. We understand, especially when you're at Nick's level, the need to focus on the end game, the need potentially here, and, and I'll finish off on this, that the potential here with Nick, in my opinion, probably even more than Hunter, and I'm happy if Hunter proves me wrong, is for Nick to be a Mr. Olympia, if only because he is so on point with everything else that he does and the way that he comes across and all of these things. If he can get that balance right, and it seems so far that he has, then all the best, Nick, for the future. Steve. All right, that does it. Nick Walker, okay. keep an eye on him. Um, over the next couple Mr. Olympia, let's see how he does next year. Let's see if he can improve from his uh, fifth place showing. See if he can uh, work his way up and uh, maybe challenge uh, the, the big Ramis of the world. All right, take us in the slimmer, buddy. All right, then, guys. 
Please note, as always, we're not doctors and the opinions that we do in this podcast are hours and hours alone. It's our view and based on our experience and views on the topic. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the first amendment.